and welcome to today's episode of Chef Talk. We are so excited to be back with you all this semester and really sharing some great information with you as we kick off this semester. This is February Black History Month and we are back with this second annual Blacks in Enterprise and Entrepreneurship in the Hospitality Industry. And tonight we are honored to have some experts and some guests that have experience in both entrepreneurship and enterprise in regards to hospitality industry. And we're looking forward to really having a dialogue um, about the influence of Black Americans um, in the hospitality industry. And so we want to go ahead and start by introducing our guests for today. And so we're going to start first uh, with Thompson Hospitality's very own Rodney Ruffin. Hi, Rodney. How are you today? Fine. Thanks, Daniela. How are you, dear? Excellent. So we're excited to have you here. And if you could just kind of start our conversation off by just sharing a little bit about what you currently do at Thompson Hospitality and a little bit about your background. I'll be happy to. Hello, everybody. I think um, we ought not call this chef talk because I'm certainly not a chef. Um, Maybe we can call it three queens and a big ugly dude. How's that? Um, Again, I'm Rodney Ruffin. I'm vice president of business development at Thompson Hospitality. Um, I've been with Thompson Hospitality a total of 20 years. Um, In my current role, I do sales, um, contract negotiation, just all phases of the business development process. Um, I started my career as a lawyer. Um, I'm an attorney by training. Um, I practiced law for probably 15 years before joining Thompson Hospitality the first time as our vice president and general counsel. I was the company's lawyer. Um, I've known Warren Thompson, our chairman and president, since I was 17. Uh, We went to college together. So there's a lesson in that, folks. Be nice to the people you go to college with because you're never never sure who you're going to wind up working for. Um, So I came aboard with Thompson Hospitality, spent four years there, was there right when we formed our partnership with Compass Group. Um, And then I left for eight years and went to Amtrak and was the uh, director of Amtrak Supplier Diversity Program. Um, and I returned to Thompson Hospitality 16 years ago. I can, I can barely believe it. It's in 16 years. When I came back, my girls were, my daughters were five and two. And the oldest one just turned 21 yesterday. And the youngest is 18. So I've been back for 16 years working for Thompson in a very sort of non-traditional background in the hospitality arena. And that's why I'm so excited to talk with with students today about the career opportunities that that await them in the hospitality industry, even if their education and work background doesn't necessarily scream culinary. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Rodney. We're absolutely happy to have you today. And you guys are going to see a theme throughout our conversation with our panel today. Um, Each and every one of us have been in the hospitality industry and all of us are in support roles that aren't your traditional careers in hospitality. So they're not your typical chef or your operations managers. And so I think that you guys will really begin to understand that there's such a wide span um, that you can do within this industry and an influence that you have um, and how our culture really influences um, the American um, culture and hospitality overall. So our next guest that we're so honored to have is uh, Dr. Aaron Tucker. And so we just want you to share a little bit about what you're currently doing at Georgetown University and likewise, give us your background as well. 
Thank you so much, Daniela, for having me. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Erin Tucker. I am currently the faculty director and associate professor of the practice for the Global Hospitality Leadership Master's Program um, at Georgetown, which started um, in 2014. And I joined Georgetown in 2017. And uh, it's really my first um, administrative role um, in the in the uh, in the academy, and it was one of the reasons why I really came. My I guess my background, uh, I've been in academia now for a little over 15 years, um, but I spent over 10 years in industry. Um, so I'm uh, originally from Chicago. I uh, went to Florida A&M University, so I love my HBCUs all the way. Um, after I, I graduated with a business degree and I wanted to follow my dream, which was to work in the sports industry, and I, I didn't know what that meant <laughs> at the time. Um, and so I went back to Chicago and I interned. My first job out of college was an internship, which was to to the absolute horror of the business school uh, at, at FAM, FAMU um, at the time. So I, um, I went back, I interned for a sports agent, a very small company as a sports agent. And I, uh, I really learned a lot that first year. Um, I learned what I, what I wanted to do, which was really to work on the event side um, of the industry. And so um, after that great opportunity, I went back to, to Tallahassee and I went to Florida State. And um, I uh, got my, my master's degree in sport management. And I worked, um, actually, I did, well, I did two internships. I did one for a company called RDV Sports, uh, which uh, is the, basically the parent company of the Orlando Magic. And uh, that year was the Orlando Miracle because they actually released a, and they had a, a WNBA team. And then after that, I did an internship with the PGA Tour. And it was really the PGA Tour, interestingly enough, that really opened me up to how absolutely large uh, sports industry was. I uh, accepted that first job, the one that actually had like a benefits package and, and uh, you know, all that good stuff for, uh, I always tell students this really big sports company called General Motors. And, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, you know, it was, they, they, they started an agency that, um, and I was on the Cadillac and Buick accounts, which were uh, the official car of the PGA Tour and Senior Tour. And so to be, um, really, you know, very, very few African-Americans work, of course, involved, let alone, you know, in that, in, in the space of actually sponsorship uh, was actually a huge opportunity. Um, I, I mean, but I knew literally Tim, Ch Tim Fincham, who was the commissioner at the time, like remember me, right? Because there wasn't too many uh, young African-Americans um, at the time, but it, but I think it's a testimony to trying something different uh, and really being open to opportunities. Uh, so students really, you know, uh, you know, can really understand that. Uh, from there, um, I had an opportunity. I did that for about four years, and then I uh, decided to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I couldn't do the same thing, but there was a, um, a, a one of my uh, mentors named Vanessa Gates was the uh, vice president of HR for a company called Jillian's Entertainment. Uh, so some people may know Jillian's, uh, but I know most people know Dave & Buster's. Um, and so Jillian's was a competitor of Dave & Buster's until Dave & Buster's bought nine locations and eventually I became an employee of Dave & Buster's. And so uh, the, uh, the, the, it's, it's just, it's an interesting uh, journey. And so I was, I, you know, she, she called me and said, hey, you know, I know you're moving us to Charlotte, would you like to be a, a sales manager? And I was like, I don't know anything about restaurants. And so she said, it's okay. She says, but you know, events, you know how to talk to people, uh, you know, come on board. Uh, did that um, and loved it. And uh, it still kind of kept me in that realm. And to make really a, a, a long story short, I ended up um, wanting to, I ended up booking um, this uh, a school named Johnson & Wales University. So they were opening up a campus in Charlotte yep, at the time, and I booked them for a recruiting event. And so my client, who was the director of admissions, said, we have this major called sports event entertainment management. 
would you like to come in and guest speak? And I said, sure. I went in and guest spoke and said, this is what I want to do. So it was from that I started as an adjunct and then went and did took a full leap into academia. So uh, Johnson & Wales is where I started, went and got my PhD at Oklahoma State, um, spent a little bit of time overseas, came back and uh, accepted my first faculty appointment at Boston University uh, for four years in their hospitality college, went to Temple University in Philly for two years and then came to Georgetown. So I'll kind of I'll kind of stop with that a little bit because that journey kind of leads me to where entrepreneurship is for me now. I absolutely um, love that you really took an opportunity to kind of walk us through that process. Um, and I think this links back to what um, you know Ronnie was saying is like being open and how important that is um, to how as you're open you kind of end up in opportunities that you never expected. And, you know, I can remember being a young um, senior, going into my senior high school, writing this big vision about what my life was gonna look like. And the joke was on me, <laughs> completely and totally um, on me. And so that openness just really of how you kind of navigate into those things are important. Uh, we also have with us today, uh, my co-host, Brianna Williams. And so Brianna, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your experience, I know you're really excited and have a lot of questions for Dr. Tucker. Um, <laughs> because um, because of your backgrounds being similar. So uh, go ahead and share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm actually myself fairly new to the industry. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's in hospitality from Morgan State University not too long ago. So I've been in the hospitality industry um, over five years now or so. Um, my first job out of college was actually as a marketing director for um, a fast food company. So again, as we'll talk about um, in the discussion here, you know, a lot of hospitality um, offers roles that you might not necessarily consider. And so that was just very interesting. And so um, over the course of my career so far, um, I've held just different roles as it relates to um, events, social media, customer service, and things of that nature, which has all led me to my current role here at Thompson, where I'm a marketing manager. It's actually really interesting because when I first started my journey in hospitality, um, I started off as wanting to be a chef. And so coming in, I decided that, you know, that wasn't really the role, the direction I wanted to take. And so here I am working in marketing, which I really do enjoy. Um, I, you know, do digital marketing as well as working on site at our campuses. And so, yeah, you know, um, as Dr. Tucker mentioned, it's um, a very interesting journey, one that I'm, you know, still on and working on as we go along here, but I'm excited to be here as well. Great. Well, we're just really um, interested in just having this conversation. And for those of you guys who are watching, hoping that you can walk away with one, a little bit of understanding of what's out there in the hospitality industry, and then also really opening yourself up to, to not being afraid of being in spaces where everyone might not look like you or sound like you or have the same background as you and, and really being able to leap in there. There's kind of this like theme that um, I heard too, is that almost everybody, you know, kind of didn't necessarily start in hospitality or, in, you know, or have experience with food. And my experiences with food as a, as a young girl is I remember one time I decided that I was going to have a food fest and I went and cooked everything in the refrigerator and freezer um, out of my mom's house. I did get a spanking <laughs> for cooking up all of the groceries. And so, you know, cooking and serving and caring for people was something that was something that I enjoyed for fun, never anything that I expected to 
actually um, do as a career. And so I'm an Air Force veteran. I started my career in the Air Force um, on the creative side of marketing and graphics and video and all of these different things and, you know, moved on into television. And so I just kind of answered an ad for a company that had a marketing manager. I thought that I was going to be marketing manager on the campus, um, you know, just at the campus. <laughs> and lo and behold, it was with a contractor company, um, which brought me into food, you know, brought me into the hospitality industry. Um, but I've been able to take my entertainment background, my marketing background, and um, really bring those things to connect with, with students in a way that I never ever imagined uh, we would be able to do. And so um, it's just so important to, to really understand that um, the paths that we think are our paths are always our paths and that there's uh, different ways that we can begin to uh, walk out what we're passionate about. And so with that, we really want to kind of, um, you know, talk about starting with you, Rodney, and like you have this really interesting uh, background of being an attorney. And most people never think of attorneys being a part of the hospitality industry. Uh, so what was it like being counsel in a hospitality company and in particular in a black owned hospitality yeah. company in a world where that's not what the companies look right. like? It was a great experience for me. I can't tell you how much I learned. Um, and those first, I was with Thompson Hospitality was founded in 1992. I was at Thompson Hospitality the first time from 94 to 98. Um, so I graduated from, I know I'm giving away my age and how, how long ago. I know that's before anybody in our audience was born and before um, while, most of, while, while my three co-panelists were also in diapers. Um, I graduated from law school in 1985 and started practicing law then. So by the time I came to Thompson, I had been nine years in legal practice, four years as an administrative law judge, um, but an administrative law judge. And then, you know, the, the five years before that, just in legal practice as a, a grunt associate in big law firms. Now, I was first generation college. Um, or this generation in my family was first generation and I was the oldest in my nuclear family. So I was the first person to go off to college. Um, and I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little kid. I mean, I wanted to be a minister for a while and then I wanted to be a lawyer. Broke my grandmother's heart when I changed from minister to lawyer, but um, I wanted to be a lawyer without really knowing what being a lawyer was, right? I mean, saw lawyers on television. I didn't know any lawyers. Certainly there weren't any in my family. Um, but I was, I guess, a reasonably bright kid and very talkative. So people who didn't know any more about being a lawyer than I did would say, you ought to be a lawyer. Um, but it turns mm -hmm. out it was, it was great for me. I mean, I, I, I loved, I majored in English in college, um, went to law school, loved it. Lots of people hate law school. I have lots of friends who are lawyers. I have a brother who's a lawyer. Um, I have lots of friends who are lawyers who hated law school. Some of them hate being lawyers, but they, to a person, almost hated law school. Not me. I loved it. It, it sounds kind of corny, but it was the fulfillment of a dream. I mean, I couldn't believe every day. I can tell you the motto on the front of the University of Virginia's law school right now. I mean, I walked around, just couldn't believe that I was there. Um, and and like practicing law as well, like the challenges of it and, and liked all of that. Um, so it was really different in 94 when an old college friend called me up and said, I've started this company, I've bought 31 Bob's Big Boy restaurants, um, and I'm also gonna branch out into contract food service. Um, 
are you you write pretty well and you talk a lot are you interested in responding to rfps and doing this and i was at kind of a personal and professional crossroads in my life and so i thought well see i'm not sure let's give it a try i came and i stayed for for four years in that first iteration and and again my first probably six months there i was like gee what am i doing here i can't really i'm it's not practicing law in law firms like i used to maybe i failed because i'm not on the legal track but once i sort of put that ego side out of my head and started thinking about the the varied uh legal matters i was overseeing everything from people slipping and falling in a restaurant to leases to pursuing contracts um, and then started looking at the function. Um, an institution like Georgetown issues a request for proposal. Somebody's got to read that RFP and then write a proposal in response to that RFP and then stand up and make a presentation based on that proposal in response to the RFP. Well, that's not so different from writing a legal brief and researching the law and then standing up in a court of law and arguing that that uh, uh, brief in front of a judge or in front of a three or in front of a jury or in front of a, a, a three panel, three judge panel. Um, so once I sort of opened my mind to, this is a lot like the function of the law and, and uh, it, it, it answered that sort of outgoing extroverted side of me too. I was able to see just how perfect a fit it was for all the things I'd always wanted to do. Um, but I was also able to see that had I not gone through those previous legal experiences or prior legal experiences, I wouldn't have been able to do the job that I was doing right then. I mean, my first thought once I sort of got over the, gee, you're not practicing law anymore was, gosh, I should have done this right out of law school. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, anybody you know who's graduated law school can tell you, you can come out of the best law school with the, you know, your, your freshly minted bar examination and your bar membership and you really don't even know which courthouse door to go into you have to practice for a while before you get it so um wh where i wound up was the time that i spent at thompson hospitality in the first iteration was the perfect way to sort of cap off what i'd done in the legal field and what i'd learned in the legal field the practical legal experience i've had with the real life practical experience of working for a businessman. Warren mm -hmm. Thompson at the time was a 30 something year old guy who traded a comfortable corporate existence as a vice president to start his own company. And now he's gonna sink or swim. And he's got this team of people around him to help him sink or swim. And I was just privileged to be a part of that team as a 32, 33 year old guy. Um, who got a lot of experience that he otherwise wouldn't have had. So it was a, a tremendous, completely non-traditional. I hear you when you say, you know, that's not the plan that, that, that it had for me. I, I love the flexibility that all of us have shown throughout our careers, right? Um, your life has a way of turning out very differently from that movie that's playing in your head. Um, and you either adapt to it or you don't. Um, and I certainly would, I mean, for me, the dream was, getting to college and then getting out of college and then getting into law school and then getting out of law school and then passing the bar exam and then becoming a practicing attorney 
Nowhere in any of that dream was this picture, but it's turned out to be a really fulfilling career. Um, again, it's, it's, I've been, well, since 1985, that's <clears throat> years, and 20 of those years have been with Thompson Hospitality. That's the longest stint of any of that, and it's been a challenging, rewarding career that has also enabled me to help feed, clothe, and educate my family. And ultimately, that's what all of us are trying to do. And so I just can't um, stress enough how important it is to be prepared. But prepared doesn't mean picking this course or picking this career. It means learning as much as you can, staying inquisitive, being true to what you like and don't like, and not, not having, uh, not, not being afraid to kind of say, you know what, I don't particularly like this path. I'm going to do a, a right turn, or I'm going to do a 180 and go in a different path. And uh, I wound up liking where I am very much. So I, I, I feel like I got sort of lost halfway through my presentation of my brief, but I hope that was responsive to what you were asking me. No, that was extremely helpful. And um, just kind of piggybacking on that, Dr. Tucker, one of the things that you said in your introductions, you talked about, you know, being in rooms where you were one of, you know, two um, that looked like you or, you know, that were similar to you. How did you handle that? Um, and um, how did you kind of overcome maybe, you know, some of those feelings along the way? Right. Um, it's a great question. I think that uh, there's a part of it that was a little bit of naivety on my part, because um, I think I was more paranoid about being uh, starving or broke that I was so focused on working <laughs> that um, I forget, you know, I, that's what you forget. I'm very, I'm very, I was very conscious of it, but I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to, you know, uh, you know, you know, do anything wrong. So I think that that kind of kept me going, you know, around um, that, and it became uh, it was uh, not as much really discussed um, in in that, and so I think that that was it. Part of part of that was was just that that concept. It wasn't until I think I really started to. It wasn't so much the spaces. I think part of it was the timing. Um, I think once I really moved into um, academia, which was around 2004, 2005, um, uh, much more discussion, uh, I think, was placed on uh, diversity and inclusion. I think I've been in the, um, in, in the space long enough that I remember where, when I came out of undergrad from FAM in the late 97, uh, urban marketing was big, different worlds and, uh, you know, Vibe Magazine, and it was like people were getting all these great cool jobs in ur urban marketing, and so it was like, like we, we were cool, like we were like, you know, you know, you're, you're, you know, we had these abs uh, you know, aspirational uh, uh, images, uh, but when 9-11 hit, all of that kind of, it just got pushed to the background. So then it became, you know, this, this focus on, um, you know, you know, really where your value in, in, you know, where your value was. And so then the conversation started talking about multicultural. There wasn't as much anymore um, about, about as much of the, of the, of the black experience. So when we speed this up to about uh, 0405, it started to come back around again. And so um, really, as I started to move in different spaces and started to see a very different uh, perspective of, of hospitality where I started to see more African-American students in these spaces, but I did not see the faculty. Um, I didn't see the deans. Um, I didn't see the recruiters. 
Um, then it became much more for me of a calling of we need to bring more uh, individuals into those spaces. And so that's where, where really that came from. Um, even a bit of naivety into the concept of uh, to, to our conversation today on entrepreneurship. Um, it was really when I was at um, when I was at Johnson and Wales that uh, the uh, to kind of give you some perspective at the time uh, when Bob Johnson bought uh, the Charlotte um, it was, it was the Hornets and then turned to the Bobcats and then they they built the uh, arena in Uptown Charlotte which was down the street from where the campus of Johnson and Wales was built. So um, the, it was, I had students that of course, um, you know, worked there. And uh, it just happened that one that a student said, uh, was, you know, talking to his uh, supervisor and uh, the uh, vice president of guest services for the Bobcats, which are now back to the Hornets, at the time uh, was Marlene Hendricks, who actually came from the Miami Heat. But before that, she came from Marriott for, she was like with Marriott for about 15 years. And she understood the guest, the guest experience. And so, you know, just said, you know, do you know someone that could come in and do training? And so uh, he said, well, I have this, I have this professor uh, that you may want to talk to. So I went in and, and I, I spoke with her and like, everybody gets it. Like we, it, you know, there's a whole experience. We don't control what happens on the court, but we control the experience as people, you know, really come in. And so that, you know, she gave me that kind of leeway to, I did training with Levy Restaurants, which was concession space. I did training for the, for the, you know, suites, the people who worked in the suites, the people who took your tickets, the ushers, all of those. And so that really kind of got me into starting, well, maybe I need this as a business. And, uh, and it, you know, it started to kind of go around that, uh, you know, th there was this great guest experience. And so uh, the general manager of the Charlotte Knights, which was a minor league baseball team that was located in Fort Mill, South Carolina, which was right over the, the line, uh, you know, they wanted to get their customer service uh, up and running. And so they reached out to me. And so basically ended up with these two contracts. Um, and, uh, and a real kind of robust, uh, ability to be able to hire people. And, you know, while I'm still, I'm still a professor, <laughs> you know, um, and, and all that, you know, in those um, elements, but it was such a sweet spot and a, and a really great time that I was able to do that with thousand, as we get into further uh, conversation without the concept of a business plan, without the concept of understanding succession planning, uh, without the concept of actually creating a company. So when round two of my life came back around, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna structure a business. And, uh, and, but all of that has been kind of that, that journey of how you know, organically uh, really being in a space where there was just nothing there. There was a, there was a gap and, or there was a problem and somebody needed somebody to come and just fix it. Very, you know, Rodney scenario, you know, it wasn't like, you know, uh, it was, you know, I'm coming into a space where it was just like, well, we just, we need someone, you know, that, that can do, you know, what we need to do. And I, I said, okay. And I just you know, <laughs> figured it out and, and, and it was there. That's excellent. I, and I, I love the filling in the gaps. And I think sometimes, you know, we miss opportunities because we're not willing to fill in the gaps. We're, you know, we're trying to kind of squeeze into spaces. You know, there's that phrase that says that, you know, why should I cry about not being invited to someone else's table when I can go get my wood and build a table and invite other people to it as well. So Brianna, I know you have some great questions as well. So I want to kind of turn it over to you um, for uh, our next segment. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, Dr. Tucker, um, one thing I think we touched on a little bit earlier on in the um, interview is that with hospitality, I think a lot of times people look at the industry from a more operational perspective, um, as opposed to a lot of the different roles that we all have. And so working in higher education specifically, how is your experience different from other counterparts in the industry? 
Yeah, I definitely think working in the industry first definitely helps uh, help because I saw a much bigger lens. Um, I, I do think that the operational side is very important, but the reality was that if there, there were so many other opportunities um, and that you needed to really under, kind of understand the business a little bit um, in order for that to, to, to happen. But even more, I think even more importantly, having that sort of industry perspective and taking that into the classroom uh, was really, uh, I think, really kind of set me apart uh, differently than some of my, uh, than my counterparts that kind of just did all of academia. Um, I think that uh, really being true to what I was strong, uh, what, I, what my strength was, which was events, uh, a little bit of sport. Um, at Johnson Wills, I was able to really, you know, uh, teach a variety of those courses, but a lot of it was events. And what happened was that a lot of the culinary students, because of course Johnson Wells is known for its culinary program, started to take my events class because they wanted to be, they wanted to have their own catering companies. So it was that, you know, stretching and I would encourage that, you know, you had to kind of understand how, you know, you know, the right questions to ask, not just being in culinary, but how, uh, what you're trying to do fits into the overall landscape um, of the experience. And, uh, and so with that, uh, I was really able to do that. So bringing in that that piece of it and, uh, and understanding that there's really not, it's so much overlap. Um, a, a golf is a sport that's cool, but it's really, it's probably 80% more hospitality than anything else. It's member focused, it's private clubs, it's uh, in some aspects, it, it can it can be public uh, 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 club. It's, it's young people, it's I mean, it's just, it's so it's it's, it's there's a, always a level a layer of charity. People don't know that there's a there's a cause. Every time you see a golf tournament, there's a huge uh, a, a, a charity that's a focus that's um, also attached to it um, uh, with the funds that are raised. Um, so to, to be in that space, to have been in that space in the late '90s when Tiger Woods first you know won the Masters, it was just a very just interesting time. And I think that I had that ability to really look at it, but I, it gave me the lens to see hospitality from a very, very, very broad perspective. Absolutely. I, I love how you talk about that um, perspective and, um, you know, the, the larger lens of that. And in talking to that, you know, question for you, Rodney, is with you being in development and, you know, working on proposals and helping Thompson Hospitality be able to scale its business. Uh, we've seen kind of the landscape of people taking positions on diversity and inclusion um, in the marketplace in a whole different way. Uh, especially since we've been in kind of COVID and we've had, you know, things kind of rising uh, in, in other ways. So what would you say to the person who um, is interested in scaling their business and, and what do they really need to prepare for so that they can scale and they can start to work with these partnerships and take advantage of those things? That's a great question. I hope I can do it justice. Um, a couple things, and, and there's sort of my pre-pandemic answer and then my post-pandemic answer. Um, when I would recruit on some of our HBCU campuses, people would say to me, um, gee, Mr. Ruffin, you seem like a nice guy and your company seems like a pretty good company, but I'm the first person in my family to go to school and mom and dad didn't sweat and strain for me to go work in somebody's kitchen. And I say, yep, I get that. Um, I'm first generation college too. And trust me, you don't want me working in your kitchen. You don't want to try and eat anything I've cooked. I'm the reason that the good Lord invented microwaves. So, you know, but, but there are whole careers out there. 
it reminds me of that old real estate commercial from years ago where people said, I didn't know those homes were there. I didn't know those jobs were there. There are so many jobs and careers and fields within hospitality that you might just have zero line of sight around. So now what does that mean for the business? Supplier diversity is my passion, helping the minority-owned business that I work for, Thompson Hospitality, continue to grow, but helping also local, small, women-owned, disadvantaged businesses grow um, is a constant um, challenge, struggle, battle and you always have to keep your eye on the ball i'm going to give a gratuitous plug to my to my friend dr aaron tucker here um she hosts black restaurant week in dc every year um and thompson hospitality's been and COVID has my math all off i want to say it feels like it was either three minutes ago or 20 years ago it was probably three years ago that we did it but one of the things that you did that i love aside from the black restaurant week piece aside from the panel discussions was you hosted a vendor fair. And so you made sure that the small and local and disadvantaged business enterprises all had an opportunity to show their stuff. You gotta be nimble, you gotta be agile, but you also have to have, be big and strong enough to have the wherewithal to withstand things like COVID. And those are kind of opposite, right? I mean because usually nimble is small and quick and able to turn on a dime and, and strong is often big and having resources. The trick is in having enough resources, but being able to turn those on a dime. So what I would say to a business that's trying to grow and scale is find a niche that can be yours, um, but also be able to, to use a word that I'm hearing a lot these days, pivot into something else, right? You hear stories of perfume companies that two and a half year or two years ago pivoted to making hand sanitizer, mm -hmm. right? Um, I get a little frustrated sometimes when I see a business that tells me that they are the best in the world at networking, landscape management, janitorial, and baking cookies. Um, you can do five or six or seven different things, but they probably ought to be related. Because my question for you is, when was the last time you asked the person who made you some cookies to set up your network? Or when was the last time you asked your janitorial and landscaping person to bake you up a batch of cookies? The things have to be related, but you do have to be able to, to uh, build a better mousetrap, if you will, to be able to say, hey, you big company out there that, that provides this service, guess what I've got for you? I've got this part that you need or this service that you need that will support your service or this marketing uh, app that will help you get your uh, vending company into a channel that you've been trying to break into forever. Um, I, I, I like the imagination to come up with any better examples than that. But my point is that you have to be um, scalable enough to be able to have something to offer somebody, but you also have to be nimble and agile enough to be able to see an opportunity and take advantage of that opportunity while somebody else is still evaluating that opportunity. 
I definitely think that, you know, our, our, our speed of entry sometimes in that execution is something that we um, oftentimes hesitate with, right? Because yeah. sometimes we don't have the same level of net as maybe our counterparts. Um, I can definitely say when I did consulting and was kind of running my own companies, uh, I had a piece of, of, of advice that came from a mentor. And one of the things that he said is that if you can look back at your first book, your first project, your first, you know, program that you did, and you're proud of it, you took too long. And that was like so offensive because I was like, wait a minute, you know? And then I look back, I was like, you know, it, it, it could have been better, right? And and his thing, you know, and, and his point to that was that there, and there, that timing is so important um, in when you go to market and how you get to market. And he used the example of Apple and how Apple sold us a product that was not completely built, was not completely fixed, had errors, and we stood in line for it and we paid for it in advance. And right. we updated it, you know, weeks and months after we even and we even bought it. But what made them successful was being able to hit that timing. Um, and, and so, Dr. Tucker, I really like, you know, your input on, you know, scaling um, in entrepreneurship and things like that, especially with the uprise. We're seeing so many like um, Instagram and TikTok chefs and people who are kind of entering through social media, but they don't have the business acumen to really scale. So what would your advice be? Yeah, I believe that you can't almost go into spaces now uh, without that ability to scale. Um, the uh, the one thing the one thing that has made really uh, well, it's a few things that made really sh uh, chef successful is the fact that uh, the ones that are the the highest paid don't cook. Um, they they license they license their name. Uh, they 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 have product lines. Uh, they have foundations, they do all of these things, uh, and just help, by the way, uh, they also just happen to, to also, to also <laughs> uh, cook and prepare and prepare. So one of the things is, is that um, there has to be a level and layer um, of the idea that you do not have to have a, a, a restaurant or product line that is only its one thing. And the reason why I say that is because um, in entrepreneurship, sometimes, sometimes, if everybody doesn't necessarily need to be an entrepreneur, there is another, I think, uh, a lane that we we should also look at as 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 especially as African Americans, and that's being an investor, uh, because the investor world is very um, different. And um, I, when I, I I got an opportunity to invest um, to to kind of get on the ground floor to to invest in a in a in a, in a restaurant. And uh, last year, and uh, to be on that side and to see these perspectives and to see the real numbers, it's uh, to to open up a restaurant in Washington D.C. and and my two business partners knew this when we uh, came together to do uh, DMV Black Restaurant Week. It's a, it cost a million dollars to open a restaurant in um, Washington D.C. Uh, when I looked at the perspectives last year, the one I saw was one point three million for about twenty five hundred square feet, and the, they don't even own the building. Um, it is it is absolutely a serious serious uh, uh, you know barrier. Um, now, do many restaurants open without that? Of course. Uh, but then we also understand that they also can't pivot properly, right? As a, as a result of that. So I think that we need to keep in mind a lot of times in going and the scaling that I understand that you want to have like the most authentic jollof rice uh, restaurant, the most authentic. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, soul food, uh, you want to have the most authentic 
but it's okay to have four or five, to come out the gate with four or five of them <laughs> um, in your plan because it is the, the resources that it takes is so important that you are going to need that investment. You're going to need that scalability to be able to shift and have a different kind of seat at the table uh, more than anything else. So I, I side eye a lot of, of this. I have a very different perspective now when I hear, especially chefs uh, say, you know, well, I just, you know, I want to have my own thing and I want it to look this way and all of that. And it's like, well, you know, can, can you come out the gate with, you know, three to four of them? And, and <laughs> because it is, it, it's serious, serious business now. So um, when it comes down to that scalability, uh, very, very important. Um, to, to just very quickly reiterate about the Apple, your, your example about Apple products and it not being perfect. Um, that's another thing. I think that we put pressure on ourselves, especially as African-Americans and as the consumer, that we have to have, we have to be perfect. We have to have the black girl magic. We can't have one thing out of place. Um, while our brethren can come out with beta testing their stuff not together and we give them ex we give them opportunities over and over and over again and I think that that's a perception uh, flaw that needs to be fixed. Aaron, uh, uh, Daniela, I'm sure you have a question too, but Aaron's got me getting my AME <laughs> shout on here. There are a couple things that she said that I really want to want to respond to. One of them is this whole notion of being able to have a couple of, of uh, concepts out of the gate, right? And, and as horrible as COVID has been, that has provided us with some unique opportunities to do that, right? The whole concept of the ghost kitchen. Mm -hmm. In the old days, you would never dilute your restaurant by putting another concept in there. This is a pizza joint or a hamburger joint or a steakhouse or a seafood place, and that's all it is. Well, now, we are very comfortable with the concept of the ghost kitchen and having a couple of concepts so that you can go into a matchbox and get milk and honey out of it. And I got to tell you, that's great because I love our milk and honey offerings. They're all in Maryland. I live in Virginia. I'm not going to get on the beltway and drive around to go get milk and honey as much as I love it. But if I can order milk and honey offerings out of a matchbox in one Loudon or in Reston, that I couldn't before because I never would have done that. But now COVID prevents me with, presents me with that opportunity. I'm certainly going to do it. And that's opened that door. The other piece of this that I want to just make mention of is being a chef is wonderful. And if you've got that talent and that's your passion, fine. A generation ago, nobody before Top Chef and Iron Chef and all that, nobody knew what a chef's job, that, that, that job was shrouded in mystery. You know, you, you had some idea of what a chef was, but you didn't really know. Well, in that same way, there are a whole bunch of food service, um, just in food service opportunities that don't involve being a chef. I will tell you now, having seen as much of this industry as, as I could, if I could have any kind of business, it would be a vending business. It ain't sexy. It ain't cool. But it's got double digit profit margins. Now, it's got all the difficulties that any difficult business is. You got to have good people. You got to have your trucks out there rolling. It's capital intensive because machines are, are expensive. You got to have a warehouse full of food to put in there. But I'm telling you, don't just go for the sexy, cool, see it on TV stuff. Um, you know, look for those parts of the industry, be it vending, be it whatever, that, that don't necessarily get all the play that you don't see a reality show on about TV on TV about, but that brings in 
a nice income and a status uh, a level of satisfaction that that sometimes being the top chef doesn't do so um and and the last piece that i just want to piggyback on is i say this sometimes we save all the really special behavior for each other right so we'll allow folks beat to, to beta test and all that but but our stuff has to be you know um, just perfect out of the gate. And, and so I would sort of remind ourselves, all of us, to go back to what your mentor told you with the book, that the perfect doesn't have to be the enemy of the good. Now, you want to strive for continuous improvement, and you want to make your stuff, whatever your stuff is, your good or your service, you want it to be as tight as it can possibly be. But if you wait for it to be perfect, you're never going to bring it to market. Just like if any of our parents stopped to think about whether they were economically ready to have us, none of us would ever been born. You can't, you can't, you don't, you can't imagine how much diapers cost till you start, till you start doing it, right? I mean, I'm giving a silly example, but my point is, do not let um, this perceived need for absolute perfection hamper you from taking that first step because if you did i mean i can tell you if 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 warren thompson hadn't chosen to leave a very comfortable existence the three of us daniela brianna and rodney wouldn't be working for a six thousand person company that's the largest minority-owned food service company in the united states i'm very proud he did that god love him he's one of those special people called an entrepreneur that takes risks um you got to be willing to do that, but it doesn't have to be the sexy, you know, glittery, glitzy, bling, bling piece of the business. You can, you can do very well doing stuff that, that sounds boring, but that is uh, a license to print money. Rodney, that's some really great advice, especially for someone who's fairly new in their career and just trying to figure out and navigate where to go next. You know, am I at the right place? Am I doing the right things? And all of those and all of that. So that's really reassuring advice from my perspective. Um, and I wanted to switch gears too. Um, Rodney, you mentioned that um, during the DC Restaurant Week that Dr. Tucker um, held a um, vendor, some sort of event for vendors or invited vendors to be a part of that. And I wanted to talk to you a little more, Dr. Tucker, as far as, um, you know, how have you been able to use your experience and platform to advocate for other Black entrepreneurs? Um, I really think, especially um, whether they're new or more seasoned entrepreneurs, like how have you been able to um, advocate for those people? Sure. Um, well, I tell you, uh, when I started my company, so I'm also a uh, president and CEO of my company is actually Loop Now LLC. I started it in 2011. Um, the company was actually, so remember I said, you know, I had the other <laughs> thing that I did and I didn't have anything, you know, nothing structured. Um, so I decided after I finished my doctorate, uh, because I was getting still like a lot of uh, consulting work or curriculum development, and I wanted to actually separate that from uh, from uh, from what I was from what I was actually you know my my income from 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 being a professor, so I decided that I you know wanted to start this company. Um, so it was a it was consulting, and so I uh, I you know make sure I you know paid my taxes and <laughs> and uh, you know had those things, and so. 
by the time we speed up to uh, me moving here to DC, one of the things that I really wanted to do with the curriculum was to add a little bit more food into, into the discussion. So I really wanted to learn more about the culture and scene. Um, I met um, my uh, business partner, current business partner, uh, Farrar Tate, uh, through church. Um, he was uh, doing the, the food service at our church, and I found out that he had this passion for, uh, for and was actually doing training of young people to get their food handler's license, um, et cetera, serve safe. And then I met uh, AJ Johnson, uh, who's my uh, other business partner, actually reading an article, and she was discussing how uh, her passion, really this kind of uh, window and gap of uh, African-Americans and the spirits in, in space, the beverage, you know, people only think about it as bartenders, but there's just, just this whole, you know, uh, beverage uh, a category that we don't think about. And so when we came together, we basically found that we all have this love for education. Uh, training for her happens at the bar, at the, excuse me, at the, at the, in the bar space. For it, for it, for Tate, it was workforce development. And for me, it was the classroom. So we came together to want to actually put together training and development to get more African-Americans into these management roles and seeing this as a career. In 2018, there was an incident that happened at a coffee shop in um, in Philadelphia where two African-American gentlemen were, were called on. And uh, it really struck me because I lived down the street. When I was at Temple, I lived down the street from that coffee shop. And so I knew exactly where it was. I knew the feel of it. And I just could not understand how did this even happen? It wasn't it, it just wasn't that 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 that's you know that that type of environment, um, and so that happened. Also in 2018, there was a variety of, of things going on. If you can remember, there was this uh, 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 these memes about Barbecue Betty, Coupon Charlie, uh, this uh, the treatment of African Americans in these service spaces and specifically even restaurants. And then there was an article that finally just was a tipping point where it said, we you know, uh, there was an article in Washington Post, and it was like, well, all of these things are happening. Where are the black chefs? Where are the you know black Owners, and I'm sitting here going like, what do you mean where are they? I've been in this space now over 20 years and I'm in this area, this DMV, this Maryland, uh, just, uh, you know, DC, Virginia area. What are you talking about? Um, and I realized that instead of me, you know, going in and, and posting about it, I said, I want to do something. And so I saw that there were these other black restaurant weeks um, around the country, just all different, you know, types and shapes and forms. And I asked the two of them, is there, was there one here? And they were like, no. And so, you know, Tate says, well, let's just do it for the DMV because it could be definitely more, you know, more inclusive. And what's happening right now? So that's how it got started. It got started because of our love of education. So our our, our model of culture, education, and good food is really, we live by that. We created a mission statement. So really, DMV Black Restaurant Week is a joint venture between the three of us plus Luke Now. Um, and so uh, with that, we were able to really come out with a structure. Um, at the beginning, you know, it's so interesting uh, when, uh, uh, you know, and Thompson Hospitality has been with us uh, since, since, since our beginning in 2018. Uh, we knew very clearly that our mission, what our mission was, and, we, and our mission is to support and sustain and help sustain Black-owned businesses in the food and restaurants uh, and hospitality space through professional development and education while creating a food ecosystem. Because we know that a week does not save any business or a restaurant, but an ecosystem of collaboration does. And so we came, that's, that was our focus and that's what we came out with. So what's the funny thing about not being perfect is that I did not know how to do a website. I just went on to Wix and just did one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so when, when, when it was released in, in a Washington city paper that we were doing this, um, 
our website it was up, but we would say we were going to release the restaurants in October on October first. And so when we released the restaurants, uh, because I'm just that academic, I said, let me put them in order. Now, now of course it looks very different. It's got geo tracking and all that other stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, let's just put it, you know, the restaurants in order. <laughs> and so when it hits, it's you know the first, you know, people saw American Tap Room, and then they saw, and I started scrolling. That's how the delegate. And they were like, and there's something about Black Twitter. If you've ever been on the receiving end of it, it is it is intense. And I and my group was on the receiving end. What do you? This is not Black-owned restaurants, and uh, you know all of those things. And uh, remember, really remember specifically um, that uh, that uh, what that you know AJ said. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? I said, this is great. We're not going to respond at all. We're going to just <laughs> let this conversation go. And fortunately, um, we didn't have to. Uh, 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 Thompson Hospitality went and actually tweeted, oh, by the way, this is our ownership group and these are our restaurants. And, but it opened up this discussion. What does Black-owned businesses look like? What are they supposed to serve? Um, everything, I am, and I will say this on record, it's not a struggle story. It's just not. It's about business. It's about knowledge. It's about intergenerational uh, passing, uh, you know, knowledge onto the next generation. Those are ideals that need to be thought about in in these in the in the space that we're in. And so for us, it was just, for me. I mean, it was just it was it was just a no brainer. I'm like, of course, I'm going to reach out to Thompson. This is the largest black owned food service company, and they're in Western Virginia. And what, I mean, it was it, it was once again a naivety, like why would I not, <laughs> you know, reach out? And so it made us a very different, um, a, a pro, you know, a, a service and product. Uh, we function 365, 365 days of the year, helping black owned restaurants, but also just keep in the space uh, to, to really be able to get that education and knowledge. Part of that is uh, creating, uh, being a conduit to government uh, because we have that experience in being able to link government to these small businesses. This is still pre-2020. We uh, we knew when we came out with the model that the culture of African-American ownership really in the United States comes from catering, which was brought through the Black church. So we partnered with the Black churches very early. We included caterers that they could sign up for the, for the week. We included coffee shops and wine bars because every other Black restaurant week was doing the 1990s model of you have to have a three, you know, a prefix menu. Well, even the culture of food in DC is takeout. I mean, it's 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 what they it's what's lived by. Um, and there's so much, especially within ba Baltimore, has its avenue and area and hits the neighborhood restaurants and that that scene that we want to definitely really you know get even more into. That's you know that is something that is authentically our culture. So. That is where we've been able to uh, to really tie in our difference um, um, with that, and so in helping other uh, black-owned restaurants, but the, oh, excuse me, excuse me, just businesses doesn't because now it's we've got we've got uh, you know the spirits come black-owned spirits companies, we've got a beer company, we got everybody trying to come you know coming to us for that. But very uh, simple, the three things that we like to articulate to um, our businesses that we work with is that we lack three things: we lack capital. We lack collaboration and we lack communication to each other. We we're we're so nervous that someone's going to take our idea, um, honey. Ideas are taken all the time, and really, there hasn't probably been an original idea. Even Airbnb is not an original idea. I mean, not in the sense of, or or like or like you know Uber or Lyft. This whole car sharing and home people are renting out their houses. 
you know, for vacation forever. It is the fact that somebody said, why don't we put this on the platform and make it accessible for everyone? Oh, okay, I get it. There hasn't been too many original ideas in, in, in the course of human history. Uh, so it's okay if somebody still does it, but we're so concerned about being the first and being the only and being all of those things that it's like, no, we need to those three areas are very, very, uh, are very critical to, to sustaining business. And that's where the ecosystem comes in. And that's what we try to do. That's why we brought in the, the, the businesses into our conference that we do every year, um, et cetera. So I hope that kind of answers your question uh, uh, with that. I think that um, definitely answers our, our, um, that question. And it, it just speaks to finding your purpose within your career and, um, and understanding that your, your career can be a platform um, to serve the people you care about. And then even understanding for those who are African-American and trying to find their footing in their way. Um, you know, I am, I'm the child of a politician. I grew up with a, a, a father that was a community activist. And so it was like way deep down there that, you know, giving back to your community and being able uh, to pour into the next generation and making sure that your life, you know, Know, speaks and shines is important but yet I still had this side of me that was like creative and all these other things um and to just kind of tie everything one of the things that Ronnie talked about is not always looking for the career that looks quote unquote sexy. And what do we mean by that? We live in a world now where uh, social media and media in itself really drives the image and perception of how we feel like we should show up in the world from our career to our style, to you know, our expectations on the way that we live. Um, and, and, and one of the things that you know, I would like to encourage you guys who are watching is, I went to entertainment school. I'm, I'm shoulder to shoulder with people you know that have been in Hollywood instructors from Hollywood and the expectation was I'd graduate and I'd go to Hollywood or Atlanta <laughs> or New York and have this big amazing career and instead I took all of the information that I learned in the entertainment business and said how do I use this to tell the stories um, and share the stories and information to pass on to one stand in my purpose and then two, take the career that I'm already in and take it to the next level. And so sometimes we can take a piece from here and a piece from there and really bring it into our centralized purpose in a way that we never expected. Um, I do a lot of work with um, our alumni and, and talking to students. And I'm like, listen, I know that uh, it sounds great to go to um, Hollywood, but a lot of my counterparts that went to Hollywood are still, no offense, driving Uber and waiting tables. And here I have a, you know, a lucrative career and a career that actually matters. Um, and then uh, the other thing I just, I really, you know, want you guys to think about is really starting to search out companies that align with what's important to you. And so one of the things that you hear resounding is Rodney saying, I teamed up with someone that I believed in. Aaron is saying, I teamed up with people that I believed in that had shared values as me. I was working for other hospitality companies prior to Thompson Hospitality. And I decided, I said, I, I, I saw an area where I wanted HBCUs to get the same dining experience that their counterparts had. I wanted them to have the same programs, the same types of restaurants, um, because we're diverse people and we don't always want chicken and macaroni and cheese and collard greens. Mind you, we love that, but sometimes we want Asian food. Sometimes we want other things. We're a very diverse um, diaspora of people um, from different walks of life and places. And so I began to seek out 
Where can I do that? Where can I, where can I really make that influence? And because Thompson made the chance, made the choice to be a niche business, I was able to find them and come and connect with them. And so don't be afraid to like look and see what companies are out there or what people share those same values. And so, you know, today was really about being able to you know, gather and celebrate the contributions that we have in the hospitality industry and bring some people before you to make you really, really understand that you're not alone in this industry. You're not alone in your dreams and your vision, no matter what it is that you're looking for. And that there are, are plenty of people out here that are willing to support you and help you along the way and in, in the journey. And so what I'd like to do is do a round table of just final thoughts. If you could leave our campus communities with one piece of advice that they can take with them into their career, whether it's in enterprise, whether it's in entrepreneurship, um, and whether it's just in freelance and working for themselves, what would that one thing be? And so I'd like to start with um, Dr. Tucker. Oh, wow. Um, I think, well, one of the things that I think should definitely uh, take away is that there is regardless of you find what you're really good at doing and and there's a space for you um, in this in this discussion and and learn everything um, about about your industry and especially regardless of whether it's uh, we're talking to you know we're chef talks right now and you know this this kind of element of uh, of chefs, you know, it's just it's a it's a very interesting sort of avenue because uh, I'm, you know, I was asked to be on the uh, James Beard uh, Foundation as a, as a chair uh, this year for for one of their for one of their committees, which is the restaurant and chef, <laughs> chef committee. But major, it's, I mean, the uh, my chef, the one who's over me. I mean, we nobody owns a, a restaurant, and these individuals have a, a a very powerful lens, right? To what gets actually noticed and what doesn't? Uh, journalists, writers. Um, so if that's your if that's your strength and area, there's a space for you here. Um, I am an I'm an advocate of of, of supporting uh, a, a black owned businesses because the sports agent that gave me my first uh, opportunity out of uh, out of undergrad was a black was a black business. Uh, the vice president of, 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 of HR for Jillian's that gave me my first opportunity, African-American woman. Um, uh, Rodney and and, and and Warren Thompson and, and the team, they were they were like one of our first corporate major corporate sponsors. Um, so do not um, you know you know they, we promote and hire um, 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 each other of course amongst everybody else but to not um, push away um, opportunities uh, just because it doesn't look um, the way that you want. So there's there's definitely space for you. You know, don't, um, in the space that we're in right now, uh, there's a lot of, of um, you know, will the restaurant industry survive? Are we really asking ourselves? I mean, that's not really a, a, the right question. It's how is it going to look? Um, it's it's, it's where, what gap can you fill uh, that exists? Um, that you can that you can contribute. Um, it is. I, I understand that the what is being mentioned um, is that this industry does not pay very well. Um, I came out. I started in sports. Sport doesn't pay any well. Uh, the, the, which overlaps a little bit with entertainment. Doesn't necessarily pay very well. Uh, but nobody leads with that. They do not lead with that. They lead with coming to this industry and 
and you can make and do what it is that you need to do in order to succeed. And I, the charge that I, you know, really am giving to every executive that I'm speaking with in the in, in, in hospitality, regardless of whatever sector it is, let's stop leading with this. Oh, you're not going to make a lot of money. Oh, it's going to be stop, stop that, stop. Just stop. We're gonna stop this right now, okay? Um, and, and this is being recorded. Uh, that instead, go back to when I started. You know, as a teacher, people come. You know, these companies will come in and say, "This industry is for you. It's 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 a great industry. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. And it doesn't matter what you look like. You don't know what you know you can do. That's the the conversation. That's we need to start that 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 initiative. And for everyone listening, there is um, uh, there is a space. Uh, for you uh, um, in this industry. So thank you so much, Daniela, for really having having this discussion and to Thompson Hospitality. Thank you. We're, we're definitely honored to have you. And I, I love because you kind of talked about, you know, just even the future and the questions that we should be asking. And I, I encourage those who are watching us uh, to really what questions can you ask? Some of the conversations that we're having on our marketing team now is how do we, you know, how do we integrate metaverse? How do we integrate virtual reality? Like, how do we serve digitally? Like, you know, we're having those hard conversations. Don't shy away from the hard conversations. Um, they're important important. Um, there is a quote by Dr. Ivy Hilliard. He's one of my favorite. Um, and he says, he who solves problems get paid. And I think that, you know, when we begin to encourage people to not only um, identify the problems, but to also begin to start uh, uh, really thinking about what those, what some of those solutions are. They're great. I always challenge people: pick a uh, pick an hour a week that you literally sit down and brainstorm solutions to things, and eventually one of those solutions is going to bring you, you know, into that next opportunity. And, and so, with that, we're going to go to Rodney. If you could leave some last thoughts, what are your last thoughts with us uh, for tonight? Wow. Okay, um, and and I'll I'll warn you in advance. I, I have this concept that that nothing is all of one thing; it's a combination of a couple of things. So, um, some of what I say to you will sound a little inconsistent, but that's because life is on is 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 the ultimate on the one hand and on the other hand proposition. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald said that the mark of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Mm -hmm. So what I'm gonna say is gonna sound a little inconsistent, but it's kind of on the one hand, on the other hand. On the one hand, um, don't be afraid, go for it. No matter who tells you that you can't be this or you can't be that or the odds are against you or, or you just can't possibly do that, don't let that stop you, go for it. Um, I, I love the story, apparently scientists studied the bumblebee and determined that aerodynamically the bumblebee is not supposed to be able to fly its body is too big its wings are too small and can't get enough lift but then the story ends anybody who's ever been stung by a bumblebee knows that bumblebees fly just fine unfortunately the bumblebee hasn't read all those scientific studies and it doesn't know all that so it just goes ahead and flies anyway be a bumblebee don't let somebody tell you you can't do something on the other hand, don't be afraid to retool. Don't be afraid to, to, to turn and say, you know, this path that somebody set for me or that I thought was where I wanted to be or that fit whatever need I thought I had at the time, it just isn't it. I'm gonna retool, I'm gonna turn 10 degrees 
70 degrees, 90 degrees, 180 degrees. I'm going to go the other way and do this thing rather than that thing. And you've got the courage to do that. And so have the courage to go for what you're going to go for, but also don't have the courage, uh, don't, don't lack the courage to turn and go down another path. Which leads me to my real point, which is part of the reason, and I'm speaking specifically to younger folks and folks in college or just getting out of college and trying to figure out their career. Part of the reason us, us old dogs hate on y'all so much is because you have something that, that we don't have anymore. And that is the greatest gift of all time use that time there are going to be people who have more money than you but what they don't have is the ability to take that money and over time let it grow by investing as dr tucker talked about um you've got the greatest gift of all you've got that time now have fun you know don't sit around and work all the time don't sit in a library all the time have fun gain experiences travel see the world but use that gift of time that you have to be able to figure out what path you want, to be able to fail, screw up and make some mistakes and retool and learn from those mistakes. And, and Dr. Tucker said in the beginning, one of the things that she learned was what she didn't want to do. The, the second best thing to knowing what you want to do was knowing what you don't want to do. That'll keep you from going down some blind paths. Um, one more sort of personal story. I think about when I was in college, again, first generation college, I was deadly serious about my education. And I had some friends who took off a semester. Some of them took off a year and went to Europe, right? And I looked down my nose at them. I was like, well, they're not very serious about their education. Silly me, I just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. The first time I went to Europe, I was 40 years old. I had more money and more disposable income than I would have had if I was, if I'd gone when I was 18 or 22, but you know what I didn't have? I didn't have time because I had a week's vacation or a two weeks vacation. I had that electronic leash pinging away the whole time I was there. And I had that calculator clicking in my head. Okay. I've spent this much, but I got a mortgage and I got the car payments and I got this and I got that, you know, what I didn't know was that I would never again be 18 or 22 years old and feel like I was made out of some kind of fireproof metal and able to just hitchhike across to Europe on a URL pass and sleep on the floor of a youth hostel. 40 year old me wasn't gonna do that y'all. My point is you have this time, use that gift that you have now. Cause I promise you, you're gonna blink your eyes and you're gonna be an old gray haired person before you know it. So use that time to to decide what you want to do, to pursue what you want to want to go after, to change and retool and do something different from what you were doing, but to live your life and to have to have the kind of experiences that will tell you where you want to go. If you guys don't have a handful of notes or tears <laughs> in your eyes at this moment, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to rewatch today's episode. Uh, this has been um, a great opportunity uh, to just really learn and take in and just kind of sit and um, the information. And so Brianna, as you being um, the person who's kind of a little bit newer in your career, uh, what was your aha moment today? 
So there were a couple. Um, honestly, this has been, like you said, very inspirational, a lot of great ideas and things that they comment. Um, but both Rodney and um, Dr. Tucker both touched on the idea that, you know, there's room for everyone in the industry. So that's one thing that's really um, stuck with me. Um, I've heard a story, you know, it's like, especially for entrepreneurs, you know, for example, when you go to a grocery store and you walk down the aisle and you see all these different brands of water bottles, for example, you know, there are tons of different brands, but they're all selling the same product. And so, you know, it just, and people still buy them, you know, there's room, it just goes back to the idea that there's room for everyone in the industry. You can have the same product, put a different label on it, and there's going to be someone that's going to still buy their product or, you know, pick your service or whatever it is over the other person's or brand, what have you. And so I think that's something to just, that really stuck with me because it's like, you know, I've had my ideas you know, just some things I wanted to do and I thought as though, you know, well, I saw someone else do it before. So that doesn't mean, that means that maybe I can't do it because it's already been done or people have already seen it. So there's nothing special about what I'm bringing to the table. And so I think that that's one thing just to think about, you know, as an entrepreneur getting started. And then also too, like we've discussed, just the idea of being creative and having fun with it, especially in the hospitality industry. Um, I've learned this so far over my career up until this point, but, you know, just the idea that you can make it whatever you want to make it. You know, I what came out of college and I was like, well, I have this degree in hospitality. What am I really going to do? You know, but luckily my first opportunity that I had of college really kind of, I feel like helped me get an idea of where I was going in my career. But just the idea is Rodney said, you can always make, you can always change. You can always decide to do something different, but, um, you know, use what you do have, take opportunities that you do have in front of you but still have fun to be creative as well and so definitely inspiring and like you said Danielle if you 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 need to rewatch it take some notes if you haven't already because there are a lot of good points that were made tonight excellent this has been a phenomenal time um, time well spent we absolutely appreciate the fact that you were willing to invest this time to just have a conversation that can be watched and reround and really taken in in a very meaningful way so um on behalf of thomas hospitality and thtv we want to say thank you for being our special guest uh for this black history event and we're looking forward to seeing you guys next month on the next episode of Chef Talk.